Welcome to another episode of Talking Shot, the photography and filmmaking podcast. Yes, indeed. Mm. Hello, welcome to another episode of Talking Shot, the filmmaking and photography podcast. Uh, this week I am with adventure filmmaker, storyteller, and he has a lot of stories to tell, the wonderful Levi Allen. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, mate, it's an absolute pleasure. You know, it hasn't taken long to get you at all. We've uh, been bouncing messages back and forth for about, you know, a year. Um, you know, chuck a few kids in between, and I just did the uh, the sin of leaving my phone on and it pinged in the background. So, um, but yeah, great to finally get hold of you, mate. Um, and uh, how are things in your neck of the woods? Yes, it's one of those classic things that if I'm on a trip or something, it's nice because all of the other things and responsibilities of life melt away and they just either I don't have cell service or I don't have to worry about it. And so I'll see these little messages come in that I really want to follow up on and then I'll read them and I'll go, I want to, I want to do a really great response. And then in classic fashion, I'll get distracted and move on to the next thing. So then when I actually come and settle down back at home for a little bit, then I get to go through the backlog and, and try to follow up with all these people that I really want to be able to connect with. And I just do, it's like this, it's the biggest struggle, honestly, of a nomadic way of living is just trying to stay connected with people while also really really getting a, a good kick out of that disconnected time as well. And balancing those two is, is a little challenging, but uh, it's it's worth the challenge, I think. But that, that's a really good way of putting it, isn't it? Getting disconnected really actually recharges your batteries and sort of reboosts your creativity, if you like to put it that way. You can get out there, clear your head. I don't think enough of us do it these days because we're so entrenched into what we're doing, where we've got to go. The pace of life is so much quicker. You know, when I was living in New Zealand, me and my mates during, you know, the summertime, we'll just go bush for a few days, take some sleeping bags, don't worry about a tent, we're under the stars. Absolutely fantastic. And it's the best thing ever. And I don't think enough people experience it. Yeah, it's, it's, it honestly is really special. And it's interesting for me when I three to five days without cell service is, is kind of not noticeable for me very much. It's like, that's a, that's an okay, sweet spot. When you exceed five days and you're in the five to 10 day mark, that's where, or I mean, people go much longer than that without being connected, but it's a really strange feeling once you passed uh, like a week of time without cell service, because then you're confronted more with those natural impulses as they start to really, you start to really crave in a different, because it feels it, the, the biggest trick I think about social media is that it makes it feel like you are in control of the experience. It can feel really disorienting when that's been your headspace for a long time. And then you're out in the middle of nowhere in a really beautiful spot and you haven't had it for days and that's fine. And then suddenly at a certain point, Point, there's a voice inside your head that so desperately wants to get plugged back into this matrix of stimulation. And it, I mean, for whatever it is that you go to your phone to get or, or to the internet to get, it's like, whatever that is, you, it can be a little alarming, your, your, your brain's response to really wanting to get back to that, that can, <laughs> I, th I think if you can't sit and pause with where you're at, and just be okay in that space. That's where some alarm bells start going off of maybe you got to look after yourself a little better. And that's not always, that's not always nice to confront. <laughs> that's, not always, that's not always good if you're looking around, looking at your hand all day long and nothing's there and you're wondering why. Yeah. Or you start but, feeling text messages come in, in your pocket and nothing's coming in and you're like, Oh no, this is not good. I first um, picked up on you, uh, Levi, years ago now with your absolutely beautiful slacklining films. I loved, I loved one of them and I think it was one of the, I don't know if it was the first one you did or not. And the effort you went to climb up with the amount, the gear that you had to climb up to get the shot, 
It was just across this beautiful canyon. I don't think you even took a drone up with you at the time. That really, as a photographer going into filmmaking, that really inspired me, sort of gave me creative ideas. Because my background is when I was in New Zealand, I worked for a bungee jumping company for two years, photographing and videoing people jumping off bridges. It was wicked, absolutely wicked. So when I saw you filming that, that was beautiful. And then the next film I really got quite addicted to, the series, the build series when you built the van. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the van has kind of become a little bit of a, a backbone story to the arc of what I make on the YouTube channel. The way that I think about things that I make personally are there's, it's maybe it's a little uh, self-indulgent, but I think of like the short films and stuff that I try to go make. The stuff that I have a hunkering as a storyteller that I see out there that I want to go make into a finished video, I kind of think of those as like my originals, like a Netflix original or something like that. It's like my, my little production company that I have, I think of those as like my production company companies, originals. And, and I, the whole reason why I got into this as a business is I wanted to be able to make more of those and I didn't want to have to make them for someone else. So this whole formula and puzzle that I've been trying to solve for since I first picked up a camera and tried to make money with it was how do I make money from the other stuff? So that way there's enough left over. So that way I can go out and make films that I really want to just make because I want to, and I don't have to wait for permission because I think that was my biggest fear was I forward think often. So I picture uh, different versions of the future and then I role play in my head about which versions of those I wouldn't like. And the version where I had been trying to make videos for 10 years and I had started a business around it and I still had not yet made a film that I liked was one of the scariest aspects of taking this on as a career was I do not want to end up in that place where I haven't made something that I like. So I tried to flip the whole thing on its head and start start the career more intentionally with doing those things at the beginning, even though it didn't feel like I had permission, the finances to actually do that. And I mean, the time of my life, it was it was the good window to do that because no one else was looking to me for anything. So it, it's one of those unique stages where you don't have a lot of extra responsibilities. You're not looking after other people. You don't have children. You don't have these obligations. I don't have parents that I'm looking after. In a lot of ways, my parents are more looking after me. Uh, <laughs> and that was that was kind of just my early 20s in that phase. And I was trying to figure out like, okay, how do I make this work where I can get access to the right equipment to make the kind of videos that I want to make, but then also stay alive <laughs> and have a place to live. That was kind of like the formula that I was trying to put together. And I had really fallen in love with some of these van life videos that were popping up on the internet at the time. And this was roughly 2014, 2013. And so at the time there was maybe like five to 10 van tour videos that existed on YouTube. And that was it. And so you better believe I watched some of those same ones just over and over and over again. Some of my favorite climbers that I just liked following in the in the rock climbing scene would do these tours of their vans and they were just I mean they were just dirt bagging it. It was like it was hilarious how how rough they lived and <laughs> so and I loved that. Mattress on the floor that sort of thing chucked in and then they just dive in with a cooker. Exactly, exactly. It wasn't this like glamorized Instagram lifestyle that we get to soak in these days. And I was kind of thinking, man, I wonder if I could do that. And I always felt like in the back of my head, I could pull that off because the way I started shooting adventure filmmaking events was I would just show up in my my car. Uh, it was actually my parents' car at the time and I'd fold down the back seat. It's like a sedan, so it's not a wagon. I would, and I'm, 
I'm a slightly on the taller side, so I would fold down the seats as best as I could, and I would just sleep in my parents' car at these events because I no one was paying me, so I didn't have money to pay for the hotels and all that stuff. And so I was like comfortable with the idea of sleeping in vehicles and the luxury of having an interior space that was like inside of a like an enclosed van just seemed perfect. Uh, that seemed like the dream. And then once this was right around the time that you started to see those high roof vans in North America more. They'd been in the international markets a lot earlier than they came over here, but we started to see them on the road here where, you know, there's these really tall vans. And it was it wasn't like this big bus of a thing. It was, you know, the the classic sprinter van look where you actually had a high roof van and you started to see these show up in like mountain climbing parking lots. And once I saw those, I was like, that would be perfect for living in. And sure enough, I wasn't the first person who thought that on the internet there was tons of them. And so I just narrowed in my focus. I went, I think if I'm going to be able to make projects that I like, I got to keep my overhead low and I got to have a flexible way of moving around and kind of be more uh, transient. So that way I can go hang out in this city for a month and then come back to maybe more of a stable home base where I can park up and plug in somewhere. And then I can take that thing and move on to the next place. So in 2015, I uh, convinced a client to go on retainer with me as an editor and I got them to make a nice deposit of $10,000 into my, uh, into my editing fund with them. And I promptly went and withdrew that full amount. And, and I had been looking for over a year and I finally found a used van that was just in my price range. And so I bought that van in 2015 and I had no money left to do anything with it. So, so I had a, I had just my sleeping gear and I rolled out my sleeping pad in the back of the van and I was living in the city for the first time. And that became kind of the backbone of, I, I realized, hey, this is this is pretty f- fun. And I made some videos about it early on that did ridiculously well on the channel. And I was like, I knew that people were interested in this. I just didn't know how interested they were. And kind of from those early days, that's when I made the decision, oh, it'd be really cool to do a video series of rebuilding this same van from the ground up years later when I actually have some more time and hopefully some more money to do it a little better. So the van went through various iterations and we completed van, we called it version 2.0, I think. <laughs> and, and, and that was the, that was the build series that, that you saw was us redoing that same van that I've had kind of as my, my sidekick for most of my career so far. But don't they say, you know, if you move into a house, you should live in it before you knock it about a bit. So you pretty much did that with your van. Hey, oh, and exactly, right? Because, I mean, you get these th- things in your head of, of how you want to build it. And then when you actually get into the space, you realize how impractical some of those ideas are. Like, I I thought, I don't, want, I don't want any space in my van for sleeping. Like, that is my lowest priority. I just want space for stuff and editing space. So my first versions of the van maybe had, like, I, I went on the ground, uh, like, just on the floor. And I measured how wide are my shoulders. And I'll make the bed just that high so that way I can roll over in the bed so that the the bed will be so high against the ceiling of the van that I'll just be able to roll over and that'll be it. And I thought this was like a brilliant space saving idea. And 
I've done some sailing and the bunks on sailboats are just tiny. So I thought, oh, no problem. And after about two weeks of the worst sleeps of my life, I was like, okay, the beds, I need a little bit more space so I can actually, <laughs> I can actually sleep because this is just miserable. What about the head? How many times did you bash that? Surprisingly, surprisingly not too many, but the the real struggle is getting out of a, a bed that is that narrow because normally when I get out of a bed, I sit up, but you, you can't sit up. So you have to like, you have to do this roll and turn. And if the bed's really narrow, it's like you're sliding yourself into, into a coffin or something like that. And that was that nice. that feeling was, was, uh, I didn't think I was very claustrophobic, but I had some, definitely some moments where I was just like, okay, this is not, this is not for me. This is no good. So what was that 2019? You sort of started building that with your wife, didn't you? We started our rebuild. It's really hard for me to differentiate the exact dates because we had just been talking about it for so long. Um, I bought the van in 2015. And so I think it would have been the fall of 2018, the spring of 2019, where we'd finally accumulated enough of the parts to start the new build. And so... Yeah, I think that was 2019. That sounds correct. I just remember the excitement that you had at the time was just uh, just uh, infectious, mate. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved that. And um, that, that was one of the things that drew me into it, if I'm honest. It was just the passion you had behind it. Oh, that's cool. I still just, I pinch myself. I see that I, I, my wife gets sick of it, but every time I see the van in our driveway or we're out there using it, I just, I can't believe that this is a vehicle that we get to use for things. And every trip we go where something doesn't break, I'm just over the moon excited because at any moment, I mean, it's a it's a very old van at this point. Any moment, the engine could just fall on the ground. And uh... well, speaking of speaking of breakages, <laughs> I was watching one of your films um, just just before, and um, it was the one when the wheel fell off, oh, and the wheel went rolling past <laughs> you at 50 miles an hour. And I was telling my partner about it, and she was like, because her father was a truck driver, and she said. Well, that happened to him. Oh, and he geez. was in a, a big truck, and the front wheel just came off and rolled down the hill. Didn't luckily no one was was injured, but it was down a motorway and stuff. Oh, but I was just like, oh, and you were lucky, man. Yeah, I have I have no idea how I got away with that with so little happening. But the I mean, the front wheel going off would be my biggest fear for sure, because especially if you're on a a mountain highway with turns and you lose your steerability. Thankfully, in my instance, it was a back wheel and the the installers of the the wheel had just over torqued the lug nuts and and they had stretched out or the lug bolts actually. And so the, the bolts themselves had stretched to the point where they had just, they were at any point just waiting to snap. And this happened on a seven lane highway in downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> and the wheel, <laughs> the wheel just like, I ran, I I, my van parked itself cause I had no longer had a wheel and I hopped out in my flip-flops and started running after this wheel or what do you Kiwis call flip-flops? Do what, is that the right Jan- word? Jandals. Jandals. Right. Yeah. So I was running yeah. down the side of the highway in my jandals and people are just staring at me, not sure what I'm running after. And then they would see the wheel and just like eyes go wide and the wheel just disappeared into rush hour traffic. And I just had to stop and just wait for that moment. I just pictured like some Michael Bay moment of vehicles just like suddenly ejecting over each other transformer style thankfully thankfully that didn't happen and my wheel was just on the other side of the highway fine like obviously we replaced the wheel because uh it had some some issues but (laughs) like it didn't cause a big pileup which is 
which is just shocking to me. I mean, how that missed everything and quite incredible to watch, considering you had a, an, a magic morning surfing, jumped in the van and that happens. But, I mean, you were on your way back up, back to Canada that day. I think when you'd sort of been, you'd done a road trip down to California and then you were heading back up. And, you know, when you're, when you're on the road and you're filming, do you constantly think about what you're going to film or do you think that looks really cool? I'm going to stop. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to show my viewers what, where I'm at. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing of making videos about your own life. I mean, I think anybody who picks up a camera experiences that joy of their perception of of their surroundings is heightened, especially through the lens of how does this how would this turn out in a photograph? Um, and I first experienced that with mountain biking, where when I got into mountain biking, suddenly everything looked like a jump. <laughs> Where every dirt pile, every mountain feature, uh, my brain would just start to imagine what a bike line down that feature would look like. And then as I started to learn more about lenses and how that manipulates images, then I started to, you know, see the world around me as, oh, what would that look like if I took a picture with this kind of lens set up in this scenario? And for me, imagining that and then following through on it is something that is a, a really fine line between helping me stay present and then also then getting distracted with chasing chasing that down. So it's like a, I, it's hard for me to pick which gear I'm in, but when I'm in like capture it mode fully, I'm just, I like, it's almost as if everything else that I'm supposed to be aware of in my life kind of becomes less important and I just laser in on how do I get this captured inside of my camera. And then the balance then is, on a trip, I appreciate the trip better through a perspective of, oh, what are some interesting clips that I can grab on this trip? And so for me, there's kind of two modes when I'm traveling. It's either, hey, I'm just appreciating the experience and collecting little moments that that st stand out to me. And that's kind of just the mode I would say I'm in in my, my normal day-to-day -day life. And it's why I'm so appreciative that phone image quality has just exploded and you get different lens choices now within the camera itself, the phone, because in my day-to-day -day life, I get quite a, quite a thrill off of, oh, hey, let me just pull up my camera and grab a little moment here and that's fine. So being in that headspace is great. And I do honestly probably 60 to 80% of the travel that we do or day-to-day -day life fits within that. And then the other headspace is, hey, I would like to make a video from this experience that makes sense to a viewer at home. And in order to do that, there's just a, I need to change gears more into that capture, capture more elements of it headspace where now I'm not just thinking through, hey, what, what am I perceiving of the world that seems interesting? Like, wow, I really like this mountainscape as this person's walking here. Or let's get a shot of that. I'm no longer just like on a treasure hunt. I'm actively trying to assemble the pieces with what I have to work with, regardless of if I think it's that good or not. And so if I switch into that gear, then kind of doing the YouTube format where I'm also being the the host of the video and bringing the audience along. Yeah, that that is a different way of doing <laughs> a trip because it's certainly not the same as if I didn't do that. What I was going to say is what you do very well, and I think what draws people into you is because it is you, but you're Everyone's seen it from your eyes. It's not just you looking at the camera the whole time, which like, some people can easily do. Right. You do a lot of B-roll. You, you, you know, I'm not telling you how to suck eggs, but as, as a viewer, it's, it's very, very pleasing and you want, you want more, which is what you want, I guess, as a filmmaker. You want more at the end of the day. 
well, we want more as, as viewers. We want more. And that's what, as a filmmaker, you want us to want more. Does that make sense? Yeah. And thinking about your experience specifically while experiencing the chain of events that I put, that I end up putting together on video, that headspace is really rewarding. Like it is, mm. it is fun to have an idea and then go, can I piece these little elements together? It's like a puzzle every time where like you have an amazing morning of surfing and you want to put that into a video. Like no one really cares if it's just a morning of surfing. You kind of got to string it together into a bigger picture. And solving that puzzle is really fun. For me personally, it uses energy. So there's only like, like you were touching on, there's only so much, so much of that, that I want to be doing on a trip. So it's like on that California trip you're referencing specifically, like I kind of made the decision early on in that trip. I was talking with my wife before the trip happened. I was like, am I going to make this just a me trip or am I going to make it into videos? And I kind of didn't decide until I was partway in and I had just fumbled into, oh, hey, I'm going to make videos of this whole trip and that's actually going to be a lot of fun. And that's because it didn't feel like I needed to force what each video was then going to be. And it felt like it was not as much effort to solve the puzzle, which is obviously makes it easier to just be present and experience it. So that I appreciate. But certainly after a trip like that, if you were hoping the trip was restful, you're going to now need rest from your restful trip in a new way because you were, <laughs> you were also making videos about the restful trip. So it's, it's all about, it's all about riding the the wave up and down as you transition between. And it is, it's quite sapping when you get back, you're actually quite, you're emotionally drained because the, that positive energy is, is how you put out there, which is great. And you're enjoying yourself. But it actually does take a bit of a toll. Like you say, you know, you need to get back. You need to sort of almost debrief yourself, mm-hmm. reset, and, and get back out there again. And that's quite intense. But one thing I was going to say, now as, as mainly a photographer myself, I am guilty of neglecting my children at being photographed. <laughs> what, are you the same? Are you, do you fall into that category or are you very good? Can you, can you describe that in a different way? Do you miss, like, so are you saying you're missing taking photos of them because you're distracted yeah. with other subjects? <laughs> Exactly, exactly that. Exactly, I'm I'm guilty of um, thinking. Oh, do you know what? I'll uh, I'll do it tomorrow, and you know tomorrow never comes on a thing. Oh, I'm sure my wife would love to. to Janelle would love to give you an earful right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm even worse because from the from the start, I'm I'm not great at post processing my images or organizing them. So I primarily stay in my lane with video stuff, but obviously I love taking photos of family stuff and events and whatever. And now that I have a setup that is more photo oriented, probably the worst offender is I took images from a family trip in like October and I didn't get them to my wife till like February. So (laughs) she had to wait a quarter of a year to get her hands on some images from a family trip. (laughs) But so I I don't know how this is going to develop as our little family grows, but it is... It is a little bit of a challenge for sure to, I think just flat out, I have a hard time with images to prioritize because I, because I don't care that much about the, the Instagram game. I, I, what I like about Instagram is way more this, the Instagram stories, obviously that started on Snapchat, just the, the natural, Hey, just take the camera and point it at what you're currently working on because I'm not very invested in growing or or actively keeping my feed up. It almost feels like that puts me at a disadvantage for my personal photography library because I'm just so rarely actually going through and 
processing those images or I mean and that's where I probably need to just get a lot more comfortable with having my my camera in raw and jpeg and then just transfer them to my phone like minutes after doing it otherwise I mean if it's not if I don't do it then yeah I, mean, I am curious how this will this, this is a great question and I don't think I know the answer to how I will continue to because I mean a big question for Janelle and I is we do family stuff on the channel but I have no interest in making it a family only channel and putting that weight onto the people that are in my life that every time we do a thing, they're going to be characters in these stories that I'm piecing together for an audience. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. Look, looking at the, it's not just the comments that then happen, but it, it's a really weird way to live a life, I think. And there's some people that I respect the way they pull it off. And there's certainly some people that have given me a really fantastic example of how I never want to do it. And looking at the example of people that have come before me and are a lot more experienced as parents in this social media video making age, I, at least on the videos that we make, we're going to air, I think more on the side of the kids will be occasional participants uh, in the public facing videos. And then, so that raises the question of, am I still going to put the effort into capturing moments of our lives for just us in a way that is quality. And I think that is yet to be known if I will do that. Cause, cause I mean, I think the fear would be the only reason why I'm putting so much effort into it is for the dopamine rush of posting it to social or posting it to YouTube. And if I'm not capable of following through and capturing those moments well, just because I want them captured well, I think that'll be a little terrifying. So maybe that here's me talking in that forward fear headspace again. So maybe the fear of not doing it well in the future will then kick me into gear now. And maybe I will end up doing it well. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I've saved you from a bit of a kicking man. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> but you'll find child number one, lots of. Child number two, not so much. I've got three kids and you get to third one, you think, Wah. anyway. <laughs> I, I, can, I can imagine that exactly. I was the, I was the third kid and I felt, the, I felt the third kid in the family effect pretty strongly. <laughs> Definitely. But I mean, that, that's quite cool for them though, being in a creative hub with you and your lovely wife and they're growing up mm -hmm. with that creativity around them. And I think creativity with kids is really, really important as they grow up. So if we sort of jump forward like from the van now and we, we're coming into 2020 and we've got that horrible thing going on called COVID. I was really lucky at the end of 2019, I was in New Zealand seeing my folks and stuff and you're not knowing what 2020 is going to bring. Mm -hmm. And then March 2020, the world changed, didn't it? We all went into lockdown. Well, I could go back into New Zealand now, but obviously I have to go into government quarantine and stuff and uh, it's a bit of a nightmare. But I've got really close to some people who I wouldn't thought I would have been so close to because of COVID. And weirdly, we got together as, as four well, three photographers and a pub landlord and we all got together on an Xbox and we were gaming. We were playing Fortnite, for God's sake, 40-year-old men playing Fortnite. And it was just that conversation in our heads. You know, these guys live in London. I live in Wales. And it was just that conversation and laughter, which you needed at that time. And so what was your sort of mechanism that you felt when you went into COVID? I mean, how did you sort of inject yourself with a bit of positivity, I guess? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I did a great job. <laughs> um, I, I can relate to that. I I loved, I mean, I didn't have any consoles, video game consoles as a kid, but anytime that was, anytime I went to a friend's house, I just absolutely loved that, that moment where there's, you know, half a dozen 
kids all in a room playing whatever game it was till three in the morning. That was that was some fun moments from school for sure. And I hadn't really played much of anything. But yeah, March, March last year, my birthday had passed and I went out as a birthday gift to myself and I bought a little Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Brilliant. That's fantastic. And I, I stumbled into playing an online uh, multiplayer game with, with the, the same thing you're describing with a headset and a mic and, and talking. It wasn't Fortnite, but it was... Uh, that actually was a really helpful thing in those those first months for me is just having an outlet where I mean it's the reason why I don't play video games is because with my personality being as addictive as it can be the desire for progress and for improvement is so so strong that if I start to learn a new thing I really want to be as good as I can be at that thing in a short period of time quickly <laughs> which is like what That's, a video game is it's like hey get good yeah. at this thing get the achievements and then you're done and so I got such a kick out of making rapid improvement at learning how to replay a game and having not played in literally almost eight years. But then that only goes so far for me where then I want to take it that next step. And that next step is just 10x the amount of time it takes to do that. And I had to start acknowledging that maybe I maybe I shouldn't be investing hours and hours and hours into... <laughs> <laughs> to do an online video game. But yeah, that was one thing I did early. And and then I, I realized that some of the games I was playing, I wasn't feeling rested after I played them because they were so involved. And I've seen my younger brother play a bunch of Fortnite. And I think that would be a similar game where it's not like you necessarily feel recharged after playing it's like you were using a different kind of energy and so i i started to gravitate to more story-based uh playthroughs and that was a really enjoyable thing for me for uh, as someone who hadn't played games in a long time i really i really had a fun time playing through breath of the wild uh a zelda game on on the switch that was early <laughs> on in the pandemic that's one of the one of the things i did but i did not i did not have great I mean, because for for the timeline reference, we had we had talked about the California road trip that you saw mm. some videos from. I mean, going into that year in general, I was already in a bit of like a headspace crisis. Like going into most year ends, I very much experience a calendar year like a progress bar that's slowly chugging along all the way up to 100 yeah. percent and i've got these expectations on myself of what i want to do within that time frame that i feel are totally realistic i don't think that i'm being over ambitious with the things that i'm trying to accomplish in a given time frame and so when i get to september and i'm feeling that 75 percent filled up quantity of a year where I live, that's where the weather starts to get a little gray and it starts to rain a little bit more. I've just had to grapple with just a seasonal swing of mood in a pretty heavy fashion. Yeah. And so usually October, November, December, I'm grappling with who am I? What am I doing? What's the point? Like the big existential questions. I spend so much time editing behind a computer to make videos and the fall and the winter is so much more of that is happening because a lot of the stuff that's accumulated from the summer, I'm sometimes editing, editing that in the fall and there's not always as many interesting things to do. And so 2020 in particular, I had just been grappling with the reality that some of my stated objectives 
I was failing at. Um, so things that I had told myself I want to do, I was struggling to actually do. But that was out of your control though, to be fair, wasn't it? Right. So, so, so it was the mixture of the two. So it was things that I felt were in my control than getting face to face with suddenly the, the world needing to respond to a pandemic. And mm. those two colliding, I didn't enjoy very much. <laughs> so at the start of the year for me to kind of like usually what I'll end up doing is, is accepting, like it's the stages of grief kind of thing where I'll end up accepting and denial and that whole thing. And I'll come around and I'll start to take action on, Hey, what do I do to, what do I do to not be so hard on myself and to kick myself? How do I jumpstart? How do I spark a new fire to get, to get the furnace going again? Cause I'm very furnace driven where I love riding the wave of inspiration and energy and forward momentum. That's like, I kind of just snowball that forward to accomplish and get things done. When I'm not feeling that momentum, it can be alarming. So I try to do things to kickstart it again. My way to do that in 2020 was this California road trip that I started the year with, which was going to see other people because I had spent so much time it already felt like I'd been in isolation on Vancouver Island where we were living, not being around other people that are doing things similar to me. So instead of waiting for a moment where maybe something would happen, I went, oh, let's just go find that myself. I've got this van. Let's go meet my kind of people on the road. And coming back from that trip, I was I was actually feeling like it had worked really well. That forward momentum was coming back and I was starting to picture, okay, this is how we could piece together a year that would end up at some of the goals that I'm deciding are important to me because that's what happens as well on a, on a trip like that. I'm also asking myself, okay, these goals that I've put in front of me, are those actually important or do I not care? And mm -hmm. sometimes I'll decide, oh, I really don't care about that. So why am I bearing any amount of effort towards accomplishing it? Cause I don't care, but feeling that sense of my first kid is coming and there's things I want to do. And so coming back on that trip in almost a comedic fashion, it's just like one little snowball after another. It was on the trip back from that, that I got the, the text from, from my dad saying that my grandfather, his father had, had fallen in the night and was in the hospital. And mm. it, it's interesting for me because that is a person for me that I've always kind of like tried to model what I'm doing after after what my grandfather did, which was he was a builder. He built a lot of things and he did it in kind of this adventurous way where he came from from Holland over to Canada to this place he hadn't seen. It had all the hallmarks of adventure. You know, he came over as a carpenter and then he moved north and he's doing all these unconventional things to kind of build the life. A big thing that I've been experiencing as an adult now is reconciling the fact that, hey, maybe I might not be building the same physical things and maybe I might not be exploring new countries in the same way that my my opa, my grandfather was, but what does that look like for me is more of being on the front line of this digital storytelling that is being uploaded and archived forever, hypothetically. Yeah. So I've been like kind of mirroring and, and looking at my life story in line with my, my grandfather's. And what was unfortunate about, I mean, I'm very, I would like to think that I'm open to the idea that life ends like like that is something that i that is another tool in the toolkit for me of remembering oh right life will end it could end any moment so live accordingly like that is something that i memento mori is this thing that ryan holiday someone that i respect kind of talks about of just hey remember death could come it's kind of this like mm. stoic principle it, no one gets out of life alive <laughs> yeah that's exactly <laughs> it so grappling with loss of family is is like okay like that is that is reality 
And as much as I think us in Western culture suck at grieving, losing someone is is okay with me in a sense, especially if, especially if it feel, well, I mean, it's a lot more painful when it feels that they were stolen away too early. And yeah, shortly after high school, we had a friend that we lost way too early. And that is a, a massively different type of grief than here's a well-lived life coming to its end. But in the theme, like if we're talking about the themes that I was, that I personally was carrying into 2020 of like, grappling with who am I, what am I doing? Is all this internet stuff even worth it? It seems pointless. Hey, let's go see some friends, some other makers. And then getting the text that, hey, your grandfather, this builder that you look up to, by the way, uh, his life might now has a clock and you might not be able to have a conversation with him again. Like kind of grappling with that, I had to acknowledge one of the biggest stories that I had ever like wanted to make or like the video, like those little inspiration nuggets that you get throughout your career or your life as a maker. One of the biggest ones that I ever had was I wanted to document him building something. Mm-hmm anything. Like it's one of the first like mental images I had when I remember like picking up a 50 millimeter 1.8 and like getting this depth of field look as, you know, alongside an object. I very rarely have images come to me. I'm so often chasing them externally. So to have an inspiration image in me is actually a really big deal. Cause so like, I'm, I'm not the kind of image make taker that has those in my head often, but I had this image like in my grandfather's workshop of him working a piece of wood in this frame beside him framed in a 50 mil. It was a crop sensor, so it would have been like an 85. And it was this nice tight frame of him working a piece of wood with an overhead lamp. That was one of my first like inspiration images that I wanted to get. And I had always had a reason why I wasn't ready. There was always like, hey, I need to get a slider so that way I can do a slider video shot. Or, hey, I need to learn more about lighting so that way I can light it well. And conveniently, the desire for capturing that moment perfectly always gave me a reason to postpone it. I think it comes into nerves though because you care about that image so Mm -hmm. much and you want it to be so perfect because you love that person so much. Mm -hmm. And you it's almost it's not a procrastination, but you're putting it off. And I I completely empathize with what you're saying is that you want the image to be the way it is in your head. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. I don't know a good way to like short circuit yourself out of this headspace of the stories and the and the images that we care so deeply about. We simultaneously, especially if you have a desire to do things with excellence, you are simultaneously confronted with you're always pushing towards how do I get better so that way I can do that story well. And they're like right beside each other. If you don't just get the ball rolling and short circuit whatever's going on to making it happen with the the toolkit you currently have, you'll end up in a position where I was in, where I grew up. I moved out. I started, I went on with my life. I moved out of my hometown. I And sure enough, alongside that same trajectory, you know, my opa moved out of his house that had a shop, you know, and then he downsized. And now my opa and my oma are living in a house where his shop is just the corner of the garage and it's it's a fraction of what it was. And now my reason is, well, now the shop isn't the same and it doesn't look as good. And it, I mean, what projects is he even working on now? Now he's getting older and now maybe it's too much of a hassle. And being confronted with the fact that I had let this one get away, as a profoundly selfish as that is, that was also driven by a desire to capture this person for for legacy purposes, for who comes after me. Being able to tell my grandkids one day about this man who came before him, who brought our family to 
I'm, I mean, they're obviously on both sides of my parents' side, both coming over from Europe like that, being able to capture this kind of person in this lifestyle that I felt like in the way that people immigrated in that window where they would go to a town that had no buildings and start to cut down the trees and make the buildings like that, yeah. that kind of thing, I felt like that's happening way less now. I mean, I'm sure some some historian or some the people who study movements of people would have a way better perspective on on these transitions through time. I'm just I'm just observing, but it feels like that's not going to happen very much anymore. <laughs> no, no. And I wanted I wanted to I wanted to get that the the young boy who grew up in World War II and in the aftermath of that, and then had a vision of, hey, I would like to find a life that's better. And then went and made it happen and just literally left everything. And the opportunity that that was actually possible for him is such a great privilege. And the fact that he could be sponsored as a carpenter, like that whole, all of, all of what that was, I wanted to kind of bottle up and have, and the wrinkles in the hands and the, I wanted to get that onto, onto video and, and I didn't. Um, and so that, that, I mean, I don't know, it feels almost like a, most of the middle chunk of last year became a bit of a blur, but frankly, that had kind of all these things bubbling up inside of me as, as I'm officially entering fatherhood as of having the, my first kid and <laughs> not that long after, uh, getting pregnant again for our second, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm grappling with all of the things that people in, who become adults deal with, and especially people who become fathers um, and mothers and whatever, but I can only experience it through through my lens. And I don't know if I, I don't know what I would do at this point to go back to give myself a better toolkit to deal with last year, but you're talking to me right now, sitting on a, on a short film that I'm trying to write, where I have this footage that I've captured of other makers and builders um, carvers, uh, metal workers, people who go out and go on these long mountain runs. And I have this footage captured and I'm currently trying to piece it all together into a narrative that I feel can honor a man that I shared a birthday with my entire life that I no longer share a birthday with. Um, yeah. And, and I, again, I'm feeling those same experiences of like, Hey, I want to do this really, really well, but that headspace in the past betrayed me because I never did it. But, but that's because you cared. That's for sure. Because you cared and you love it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely get that. And I, I can't wait till that, that film comes out, mate. I really look forward to that. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> I, I want to get it done. I, it. My deadline in my head was yeah. I would love to have at least it assembled before my second kid is coming. And that's the, the due date is within weeks now. So we'll see if that lights a fire underneath me enough to do that. But the sense of relief I'm oh. going to have to to finish that is, is going to be, it'll be one of the top five in, I, I think probably in my life to, to put the final touches on a piece like that for me is going to be, I think really important in my, in my experience as a, as a maker for sure. Oh, when, when that comes out, I'll grab the link and I'll put that in the description so people can completely relate to that as well. For sure. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. But now, I mean, what, a couple of weeks, you've got number two on the yeah. way. That's really that's really exciting. But you've also started another project. You don't stop now, do you? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true. I'm a chronic starter, that's for sure. So, yeah, I mean, when you did the van and stuff, you took yourself out of Wild and all that, while filmmaking, while doing the series, and now you're tackling a container. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to be your workshop, your storage, uh, everything like that. And that's sort of what you've done the build. What's this build 3.1 sort of thing you're doing now or so you, obviously you're going to take a bit of a hiatus you know so you can spend time with the family and stuff like that that it's a given but you know what's what's going forward for Leo that's a great question um it's something that i mean 
my YouTube audience, depending on when they followed me, uh, they have different perceptions of what what's most important to the channel. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the people who found me in the GH5 stage think that the most important to, thing to me is cameras. And then they were yeah. so disappointed when I used the same camera for three years because they wanted to hear what I thought about new cameras. And I went, that's not what I do. <laughs> I, I like cameras, but I really like this yeah. one and I'm, I'm going to keep using it. And the people who found me in the very early days, it was mountain biking. And, and they thought that was the most important thing. And they're devastated. I haven't made another mountain biking video. And, and then it was highlining. And so I do this thing where I, I dabble especially with what I end up putting on YouTube, that very much to me is if I start to get a sense that I have to keep doing the same thing, I feel like I've failed because I don't want YouTube to be that for me. I understand that the people who do it as their main thing and it's their career, there is a sense of urgency around if we experiment too much, this whole thing could crash and burn and that's devastating. So for me, because I don't have all my eggs in the YouTube basket, I like just doing whatever. And I try to keep it within the same Levi style of DIY and van life mixed in and filmmaking mixed in. I mean, but I I made a whole video of me just like putting assembling a battery. <laughs> and <laughs> I I I acknowledge there's a massive group of my audience that has zero interest in that. So one of the one of the things that I'm trying to figure out in the videos that I make going forward is how do I make videos about anything interesting because there's a way that I made it that's very much my way of making it because that seems more sustainable in the long run to me. And there's some fantastic YouTubers out there that do this very, very well. So the shipping container for me, it's, hey, I I mean, I'm not at a place right now where some of my business ventures have experienced the exponential factor of what would be stereotypically thought of as success metrics. So my my grand plan of building an education company that can work at scale and sell sell a lot of quantity in a way that I'm proud of. So that way there's a lot of revenue. So that way I can triple amount the amount that I'm paying myself. So that way I'm actually in a professional pay grade for take-home pay personally. Uh, that's just some whatever jargon about making money personally. But I have plans to have the business that I run do better. And that plan involves yep. paying me more. So that way I can do things like buy a house. <laughs> uh, and I just have to acknowledge that that's not actually the chapter that I'm at currently. So if I want to keep having a space to build things, I have to adapt to uh, my current means. And part of the current means is, hey, we can only rent a basement suite right now. So the suite that we looked at renting, it was very important for us to find landlords that would be flexible to let me build stuff on the property. And part of that was, let's go. Hey, could we drop a shipping container here and turn that into a little garage? Because I mean, most of the houses that exist in, in where I live, if there is a basement suite, the garage of the house is usually the top level's garage. So whoever lives upstairs, they have the garage. And that's, I mean, usually usually whoever's living in the top level owns the house anyways. And the people that live in the basement are renting from the top level. That's kind of the scenario in the town that I live in. Um, it's pretty common. So it's very rare that if you rent a basement suite, you get a garage. <laughs> that's just like not common. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, I'd rigged that out in the last place where we rent, where there was and a, a detached garage that I rented half of. And that's what I ran my studio out of while we built the first van, but looking for a new place to rent. I asked around and some people that we know very well were willing for that setup. So we were able to get a shipping container dropped off beside the house in the back corner. And I'm turning that into my little, my little shop. And so truthfully, uh, 
I've started a project that I haven't shared yet on the channel. And maybe you're just going to find this hilarious because it's so far <laughs> from anything that I've done before. Um, but maybe once I say it, it'll make sense. But yes, with the van, I need to make some upgrades to get ready for potentially two kids sleeping in it. That is a, that is a yep. thing that I need to do. But as far as like future build projects, one of the things that I'm doing is I have uh, become the proud owner of a 1978 uh, Honda CB750 motorcycle. This thing does not run. Everything on it is completely seized. It's it's a complete non-starter. It's, uh, it's sat in a front lawn for I think five years and is completely rusted and completely seized. And I'm going to take that motorcycle, strip everything completely off it, and then I'm going to rebuild it as a modern electric motorcycle, completely capable of of being a full-fledged motorcycle in the sense that, hey, it's got torque, it's got acceleration, it could it could actually be a licensed vehicle. But instead of being you know, this loud motorcycle, it's going to be a completely silent, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a completely silent electric <laughs> motorcycle. So that is a, that is a big secret project that I'm currently tinkering away at. There's some skill sets I need to learn to do that better. So I've got this rusty old motorcycle right now sitting outside my basement suite that I'm acquiring the parts necessary to, to turn into a, hopefully a really rad electric motorcycle <laughs> is that the start of left coast motorcycles maybe you know maybe i <laughs> see here's the thing like if, if we look back at the way that i do projects i might do this and never do one like it again <laughs> but i'm just i'm just th like my brain it's my brain can't help but be completely obsessed with this current project. And it's, I didn't have a project like that probably since the van project. I didn't have one. And it's very weird for me not to have one. And sure that like outfitting the container as a space that I can build things out of satisfies that itch a little bit. Um, and it's fun to make videos about that too. But that kind of project that is so, that you're so curious about that it just pulls you along from step to step. And you can just go down these focus rabbit holes that you're just digesting information at a rate that I wish I could have done normal schooling with. But for some reason, my brain decides to reserve only for these specific types of projects. But th this electric motorcycle build is one of those right now where I can't go two hours of my day without like thinking about, oh, maybe I could do it this way. So it makes it very difficult to get other projects done. But I'm quite excited about about tackling this one and hopefully ending up with a finished motorcycle that works. <laughs> Your projects are a complete obsession, aren't they? They really are. And, you know, you literally 110% you throw into it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how to do the half-in version. It's why client work for me can be such a toxic cycle because I don't know how to not think about the client project all the time. And it's been one of the things that I, it's what was kind of my little identity self-crisis at the at the transition into 2020 for me so many of the things that i'm tackling i just end up getting blindsided to all the other it's all the urgent immediate stuff and it's not the long-term stuff that i need to make progress on that matters to me most so putting the foundation in play to have workshops where people can come and go on an adventure with me in person and I can enthusiastically share my excitement for video with them. That I absolutely love doing and it's it's very straightforward for me how to pull that off. But then capturing that into a, an experience that someone doesn't have to be there in person to partake in, that takes forward thinking and long-term planning that I've struggled to implement while I'm so captivated with all the other things that I'm doing. And the people who followed my channel for almost a decade now know that I've been 
talking about, hey, I'd love to put together a video course on how to do adventure storytelling, adventure video making. And I've been saying it's been coming for a long time. And at this point, it's not even, hey, I want to make it because I think it's a good business model and I think people will happily part with their hard-earned money for a well-crafted course. It's not only that, it's I want to do it because I've told people that it's coming now for ages. And honestly, it's a struggle for me to to carve out the headspace to make it. And last year was supposed to be the year that I made it. And one of the big linchpins of pulling that off was being able to still do some of the main in-person projects that I need to do to generate the revenue to do it. And when the whole yeah. rug was pulled out of that last year, I just had to go, you know what, this is too overwhelming for me to think through how to do this right now. So I'll just not. And I haven't yet. But it's still there for you to, you know, you can go back to pick it back up again. Yep. It's it's not going away. Exactly. It's still there. And I, I haven't I haven't worn that uh, I haven't worn that mantle back on yet of I'm w- I'm ready to do this yet. So I'm kind of I'm kind of at this like uh, standstill with myself of I know what what needs to happen first for me is I want to do more of our in-person stuff again. And hopefully this fall with some of the local people around here, that will be possible because I thrive just on in-person. It's just in-person for me. I miss that. And when I am with people, I get such a deeper understanding of, hey, this way of explaining it helps and this way is completely useless. So once I get some more in-person experiences under my belt again and I get back in that teaching rhythm, um, because it very much is like something that I have to get in a rhythm of to understand how to do well again, that will come. But honestly, at this point, I, I, I have no deadline on that, which is a little terrifying, but that need, that's, a, that's a big creative endeavor that is in the future that needs to be tackled well. Well, you've got an exciting few weeks ahead of you at the moment anyway <laughs> there, Levi. So um, there's, there's no, I don't think anyone would hold it to you for being a bit distracted with uh, what's on the horizons, mate. It's um, You've got an exciting time ahead, and I think that's absolutely fantastic, especially after the last 12 months and, and stuff. I just want to thank you, mate, for taking the time to speak to me on this. I could talk to you for hours, mate. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, the stories you can tell. You know, you, you really speak from the heart. So if anyone wants to go contact you, where's the best place for them to go and contact you? Yeah, I'm, I'm Levi Allen on most things. And then my production company is Left Coast Media House. So if you look up Left Coast, that's left as in the opposite of right. But I was I was just realizing at the at the end here, you had asked at the start like what I did to kind of recharge last year, and I I didn't really have a great answer to that. And I'm realizing one of the one of the big things for me that really I don't want to like be true too dramatic with it, but I'm realizing it like it kept me in the game. Uh, mental health wise, mm. for sure. Like, I don't know how far off a cliff I would have gone without this is, is, is like the fatherhood component to me was what brought the deepest, most meaningful joy in the past in the past year, for sure. Yeah. It's why I enthusiastically embarked on the process of trying to have another. I, I have always been someone who really wanted to have a family. And so it's, it's not like this thing that I was like terrified of, but I was always nervous mm-hmm. that my expectations of the experience of, of those first, because I know those first years can be challenging, especially for a father where you're not sure what your role is and it, it can feel like you're not entirely sure what you're doing. So I tried to rein back my expectations. Um, and for, for me personally, the expectations were exceeded pretty, pretty immensely as I'm sure you can relate to in its own 
own way. Yeah. So that I, I think that's a helpful little closing note of like what kept me in it last year for sure was that joy of, of fatherhood. And as, as the second is two pandemic babies, as our second is on the way in, uh, I, th- I don't think we're going to keep adding at the same rate that we uh, did our first two, but I, th- I think we might pause <laughs> it and maybe just stay at two. But yeah, fatherhood's quite the gift. And I appreciated this conversation. Hopefully the listener at home found it uh, found it somewhat interesting, if not uh, distracting from whatever they're currently uh, worried about. It's been fantastic, mate. It really has. I've enjoyed every minute of it, mate. It's a, it's a good, good positive and a good way to sort of finish the evening. And there's the sun sets here in Wales, and it's just after lunch for you in in uh, British Columbia. So it's brilliant. Thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's finished. It's all over. It has ceased to be. It has run down the curtain and joined the choir invisible. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to leave us a, a review or, or contact us, then drop us a line. Podcast at talkingshot.co.uk. Merci beaucoup. Mama.